It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark Levin is standing by, uh, the fantastic host on Fox News. Great radio show, uh, talk show host, award-winning. And he's got a brand-new book out, No More in the Country, called American Marxism. He's going to be standing by. Also an exciting day. And I said this two weeks ago when I watched Richard, or last week when I watched Richard Branson take off on Saturday. I thought, this is fantastic. I go, this is unbelievable. The innovation and the willingness to do this has employed so many people, took great risks, and gave people a whole generation a sense of maybe I want to do this for a living. Like they, we had in the 60s growing up when we were walking on the moon and having all these missions going up, especially people a little older than me. And now we're watching, as a, today's an historic day, Jeff Bezos, another billionaire, self-made billionaire, I should add, uh, decides, I've had enough of Amazon. I want to try something else. In 2000, he launched Blue Origin. Uh, the project is now going to launch him and his brother and two others into space, the oldest and youngest ever. To me, I love this. The criticism is criticism of capitalism, if you ask me. Oh, billionaires could be spending money down here. He is helping us down here. The employees that he has, because of the vision that he he saw through, is what I look forward to. So Mark Levin in a second, so let's bring him in. Hey, uh, Mark, uh, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian Kilmeade at the Brian Kilmeade Show? How are you, my friend? <laughs> I know. I said my name a lot. I apologize. Uh, Mark, congratulations on the success of this book. I just want you to weigh in on this. I have no problem with billionaires trying to ca- uh, capture new dreams and, and pursue them. Do you? Of course not. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Run all of our money through the bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., so all the geniuses there can decide what to do with our money? We don't need Marxists like Bernie Sanders. I think that's who you're talking yes. about saying, well, we can spend our money here. They are blowing trillions and trillions of dollars. First of all, who the hell does he think he is? He doesn't control everybody. You know, if we don't have capitalism, we don't have thought. We don't have creativity. We don't have productivity. How do we think we got all these products? How do we think we got light in our homes and light bulbs and automobiles and you go into a grocery store, you have more available to you than any king or queen 200 years ago. It wasn't because of government and Bernie Sanders and Marxists. It was because of ingenuity, people who decided, I'm going to make a difference. What is Bezos? Who is he hurting? He's not hurting anybody. He can do whatever he wants with his money, and Bernie Sanders needs to keep his claws off of it. I agree, and but there's a lot of talk about that, too, and I brought it up to Bill Nelson just on television, the, the former astronaut and just uh, failed center. And, and, I heard that. Yeah, I heard that. And you I were just, great. He was barely literate, but you were terrific. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But I just said, I, what is wrong with telling people to imagine things? You know, Jeff Bezos, it looks like his parents gave him $240,000, more than most parents could ever give somebody. But for the most part, the guy left a lucrative job to start out on his own in the middle of nowhere with a desk he got from Home Depot. And he said he screwed two doors on a horse. And he just had this vision. And along the way, he employed a lot of people, and he was a taskmaster. He made working-class people middle-class and middle-class people upper-class. And then guess what? If you're a manager at Amazon— you pretty much sought after in other businesses. Wow, where, you made where, that look, place work. Look at these Marxist society. They produce anything? China no. has to steal all of our technology in order to make its weapons. 
Russia used to do the same thing. They spend all their money trying to figure out how to get our technology. Um, Bernie Sanders wants to project onto our society this whole Marxist ideology, this anti-capitalist ideology. Let me explain to people. Ian Rand said it best. She wrote a book about the primitives. And she said this whole ideology about Marxism and so forth, it's an attack on what's between your ears. Creativity, uh, um, all kinds of things that motivate you and so forth. In other words, they destroy the individual. They destroy the individual's ability to think, to reason. This is why they oppose free speech. This is why they crush differences of opinion, whether it's on the virus or anything else. It is not scientific. It is not pro-knowledge. It is hand. It is, it is iron-fisted uniformity and conformity. And so there may be people out there attacking Bezos, but we just have to fight back. Right. And, and by the way, we know what he's done with The Washington Post. We know he has a political agenda and we know we're pushing back against it on a daily basis. It's not a matter of that. It doesn't mean you can't respect success. And I do. And I think that's what you're saying. So when the Blue Origin launches off in Van Horn, Texas, it's a great time for Texas, number one. Number two, it's a great time for entrepreneurs. And then next thing you know, space travel will be a part of an economy, an economy that's going to continue to grow and innovate. What China's doing is they're actually allowed for a period of time a little bit of innovation, the Jack Ma's to take off. But now they're coming in with government. As soon as a business takes root and has success, the government is taking over. That's the best news for America and competition. But you know what you made me do with this book? You made me reevaluate you oh, yeah. capitalism. I just take it for granted that I come here and I have an opportunity to fail or succeed. You know, I interviewed, uh, I interviewed uh, last night the founder of uh, the UF, uh, UFC uh, and uh, Dana, Dana White. White. So Dana White yeah. takes over UFC. He came out. He had $2,500. Whitey Bulger was in pursuit of him. He owed uh, that hoodlum $2,500. So he leaves Boston, goes to Las Vegas, teaches boxing classes, and has an opportunity to work his way up in UFC. In UFC and he becomes this multi-billionaire success story. No one gave it to him. You know, I'm just fascinated as I, as I watch the Here's launch the of this spaceship to see Blue Origin taken to space right now. It's pretty amazing. Here's the problem. None of that's taught in the classrooms today. None of it. None of, it, of the American greatness, American ingenuity, how we defeated uh, fascism and communism, how our soldiers go overseas and fight for people of color, for Muslims, in order to free them, in order to protect them, how our country stopped Hitler and Tojo, how our country is, is a magnificent country that has saved millions and millions of lives and created millions and millions of opportunity for people who wouldn't have them. That's not the narrative in our classrooms. That's not the narrative in the media. And the point of the book is to fight back. It's to lay out the case, what's going on in the country, not like you and I typically do it on TV and radio, but to get very deep where this is being promoted, where the propaganda is coming from, who the scholars are, who their intellectuals are. Because as you well know, you're a student of history. If we don't know what our enemy, enemy, not adversary, not opponents, they want to destroy this country. If we don't know who our enemy is, what their thinking processes is, and so forth are, we're not going to be able to develop the strategies and tactics to defeat them. So this book, just so you know, this is about a mission. This is about forming a movement. We have disparate efforts going on in school districts and so forth. We need more. We need a network. We need a national effort. Or we're not going to be able to claw our way back from all these invidious, poisonous, Marxist spawned Americanized ideologies. And uh, that is the point of the book. 
Yeah, a few points of the book. But what I'm seeing is unfolding, unlike uh, your other books, is that this is coming. You basically say in here, with American Marxism, it is here. And what I've noticed, too, is it's a multi-pronged process. It's first, uh, hurt America from the inside. Number two, destroy what we take great pride in, our incredible past. And number three, get us to attack each other. So we look at ourselves. So our enemies are loving this because we're taking each other apart. Lincoln talked about that. The only way for America to fail is for us to turn on each other. And we did briefly, and we came out stronger. But this is the whole ideology. You know, I hear some of my friends, and they are my friends. On TV, they say, you know, they may be a turning point or ACU. They're all hyped up. They're strong. So I've talked to people. We're ready. They can't defeat us. And so Rah, rah, I ain't going to do it. I'm all for it. It's not going to do it. Uh, when you read the American Crisis, Thomas Paine, when you read the first couple of sentences, when you read the Declaration of Independence, these were men who were very, very serious about the challenges in front of them. Uh, when you talk to a parent whose children are being indoctrinated on racism and Marxism uh, or transgenderism, um, we got to figure out how to fight back with this stuff. And one of the reasons I, I call the book American Marxism, a title I gave it near the end when I was finishing it, is because that is the common thread. It's not about the Red Scare, McCarthyism. It is about who are these people? Who are their mentors? What are they saying? You listen to Black Lives Matter. The founders tell you they're Marxists. Antifa, they're Marxists. Bernie Sanders is a Marxist. The squad are Marxists. They hate America. They're anti-Semites. They want the borders open. They defend Hamas. They defend Cuba. If we don't call these people what they are and we don't recognize where they're coming from, we're going to lose. Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you now, we're losing now, and it's time to fight back. We can't be Pollyannas about this. And, and just in case, we're either talking to Mark Levin on a historic day as uh, Jeff Bezos becomes the second billionaire civilian to go into space in a matter of two weeks. Elon Musk has done it with SpaceX, but he's not Only been on Only in board. America. Only in America Only is in true. America. But Nicole Hannah-Jones is also from America. She wrote the 1619 <laughs> Project, which plays into the insidious rise of Marxism. I want you to hear how she described Cuba last year. And tell me if you think Mark Levin is overstating things. Cut 35. If you want to see the most equal multiracial country in our hemisphere, it would be Cuba. Cuba has the least inequality between black and white people in places that are truly um, at least biracial countries. Cuba actually has the least inequality. And that's largely due to socialism, which I'm sure no one wants to hear. No one wants to hear that. So why doesn't she go? <laughs> uh, isn't it funny how they, uh, all these uh, Marxists, American Marxists, they don't really want to live in these places, but they want to turn our country into that place. She knows nothing about the history of that revolution. That revolution was basically Castro with 28 guerrillas backed by the New York Times that overthrew a country. That wasn't a proletariat uprising. That's number one. She knows nothing about Che Guevara, who was a racist who executed and got joy out of executing black Cubans. And he, he had a real serious problem with black Latinos. She doesn't talk about that. And you see people walking around the country wearing the T-shirt, including minorities. It's a shocking thing. Uh, but that's who she is, 1619 Project. New York Times pushed this. It's still pushing it. I just want to remind people, that's the same New York Times who had Walter Durandi in Moscow for 12 years, who was fronting for Stalin, and they were putting pro-Stalin propaganda in the New York Times. It's the same newspaper who had an editor in Berlin during the Third Reich who was sympathetic to the Nazis. They covered up the Holocaust, for the most part, for years. It's the same newspaper that promoted the uh, 
the, the so-called demo- democratic revolution of Castro. This newspaper, this corporatist enterprise has blood on its hands, and she worked for that organization, and that's supposed to be the gold standard of the media. And I remind people in the book, Karl Marx's profession was as a journalist, and he wrote for New York newspapers. And the, the great author who writes about Karl Marx and went through all his articles, he said that the modern journalism today takes a lot of its lead from him in the sense that he would take so-called news and then twist it and spin it towards an agenda, which is exactly what most of our news media do today. You're going to learn a lot of stuff in this book, Brian. No, I know I did. And uh, I'll tell you, Mark, you do write, you got to concentrate. It's not something you sit down and just say, let me just glaze over this. Uh, like some John Grisham novel, you you actually you have to sit there and think, and then you got to step back and go, you know, what is happening? Think about crime. Let's let crime let's let crime run rampant. Let's let the border collapse. Let's make history fall apart. Let's go and spend thirty three trillion dollars over a budget, and then say the way to solve inflation is to spend more. That was Joe Biden yesterday, and that play doesn't play into capitalism and democracy, does it? No, and when you see these things, I explained in the first chapter, when you see these models, the oppressed against the oppressor, the rich against the poor, you know, ageism, racism, all these isms, these are, the book's not called Marxism, it's called American Marxism. These are the fundamentals of destroying a society. When you reject the flag and you reject the national anthem, again, these are unifying symbols. People have fought under that flag and they sang that national anthem. It's an attack on the country, regardless of what these people say. And most of these revolutions are top down. They're not bottom up. The American people aren't looking to overthrow their country and put in socialism or overthrow their country in the name of uh, critical race theory. Castro was a lawyer. His family was fairly wealthy. Lenin was a lawyer. His family was fairly wealthy. Mao, even though he came out of a peasant family, he was a teacher. Uh, Pol Pot was a Ph.D. You look at most of these ideologies, they come right out of these college campuses. And uh, in the back of the book, I address what I feel we need to do with them, too. Lastly, Mark, the thing is, I don't understand the attraction. Is the attraction life isn't fair? It's the rich have too much, and it's about time I get a piece of that uh, piece of that pie. What is the attraction to this ideology that takes away the opportunity to succeed and fail? Why Why would that be? Don't get mad at me. And this is embarrassing because they put me on this incredibly tight schedule for some reason. The attraction is this. Uh, Marxism allows malcontents, miscreants, and people who have no connection to society and take no personal responsibility for themselves to project it onto other people. They're victims. They're oppressed. Otherwise, they would be successful. Those are the followers. The leaders are fanatics. They want to control a country. They really are evil. You look at all these leaders of these Marxist movements. When they take over, they are brutal police states. And let's keep that in mind. And the Democrat Party today is the vessel through which this operation takes place. They want to destroy our constitutional separation of powers. They want to pack the courts. They want to change the election system, not to help black Americans, but to help themselves. Open borders, so we assimilate into foreign cultures, not into the American culture, and on and on and on. Gotcha. And Brian Kilmeade, you are a great host and a great patriot and a dear friend. And I I want to thank you for everything you do for this country. Oh, thank you, Mark. And uh, it's so great to have you on this team. Congratulations on American Markism, none more in the country. And you're the host of Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox, nationally syndicated, and uh, on Fox and Weekends. And you got your syndicated talk show, The Best in the Country. Uh, Mark, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Best of luck with your book, and I'll see you in the hallways. 
All right, brother. Take care. All right, Mark Levin, thanks so much. Uh, the latest on Blue Origin and more when we come back. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. But I'm sure their adrenaline is pumping. <laughs> and touchdown. Welcome back. New Shepherd's first human crew. What a Welcome flight. Welcome back to Earth first step. Congratulations to all of you. To all of you. On this capsule, and we're so grateful to everybody who made this possible. Thank you, Blue Patrol Oliver. Thank you so much for everyone there. It was amazing. It was amazing. So, that was the first time you see uh, an automated flight. It was uh, four people the youngest, the oldest, and then the Jeff Bezos and his brother. Uh, they went up 57, he is Jeff, and 53 is his brother. They went up, they landed. Uh, safely down. The capsule went right back almost to the exact slot it was in when it launched, so it's saved. And the capsule that is manned, automated but manned, uh, the door is about to open and, and Bezos and company are about to step off. I'm not really sure why they're trying to tie it down first, uh, but they are trying to do that from all angles. They brought the stairs over. They're in the middle of Van Horn, Texas. Pretty exciting time. I thought Saturday was great with uh, Richard Branson and the dynamic shot of the plane of the capsule being slung off the uh, space plane. This was more traditional. It was a straight shot up 62 miles uh, into the sky. Uh, Branson went 50 miles, and then it came right back down. You saw multiple parachutes, and it landed. I, it looked like it landed kind of hard, but it seems like everybody is more than okay. They can't wait to get out. You hear a lot of smiles, and I'm sure we're going to see the video, too, of what it was like in the space capsule. If, if Richard Branson can do it, I'm sure Bezos had the video cameras to do the exact same thing. Anything that else you noticed while we were in, in break, Allison? No, just uh, as they're waiting to get off, I think it was Bezos got up to get his hat, 
and then sat back down. So he He's got his cowboy hat in there? Yeah, his cowboy hat went to space. It's pretty amazing. He's getting some guff because why are billionaires going into space when people are starving down here? To make other billionaires and entice others to do this things called adventure. He's putting his money back into the economy. And he just made a whole industry along with Richard Branson and Elon Musk. And that is civilian space travel. Pretty cool. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There has been inequality and hunger and poor and racism and all these problems. All that long predates anybody's attempt to fly in space. So... To now look at success in space launches and say, because we're doing that is why we have not solved the rest of these problems is kind of a false equivalence. Kind of? How about exactly a false equivalence? It's a joke. I've never seen such resentment towards capitalism and success. And Jeff Bezos, I don't care if you like the Washington Post. I don't care if you read the editorial page. I don't care uh, if, you know, your uh, business got hurt by Amazon. You have to understand where he came from and what he just did. You have to understand that the smartest guy in your class, the valedictorian, is Jeff Bezos. All right? Jeff Bezos, at 25 years old, was already a millionaire on Wall Street. Quit it all, borrowed money from his parents, had some money in his pocket, went to Seattle, and started Amazon, which is now Amazon. And you read the story, and I, got a, I started reading a biography a few days ago. And the chances of him being successful were astronomical, pun intended. One of the things he started in 2000 when he started to break through was the space program. Why? Well, he had a grandfather who was in the space business, and um, an atomic scientist. He always dreamed about being in space, so he did it. Isn't that part of the American process? It's supposed to inspire you. It is supposed to make you in awe and proud to be an American. This is not happening in China and Russia for a reason. They squelch freedom, and it's all part of a bigger story. And in case you wonder what I'm talking about, in Van Horn, Texas, it happened moments ago uh, or sometime today, depending on when you're listening. Jeff Bezos went into space with his brother and two others, the oldest and younger. Uh, the oldest in uh, the ever going to space beat John Glensmark. Um And then you have uh, the youngest 18-year-old, dad's a multi-billionaire. They went into space, and people are saying, wow, what a waste of money. I don't think so. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West joins me. Uh, he was running the Texas GOP. Now he wants to be the next governor of Texas. Uh, I've never been to Van Horn, Texas, uh, Colonel Allen West, but is this a great moment for your state? Yeah, it's good to be with you, Brian. As a matter of fact, I'm heading back up to Dallas from down here in Kerrville, Texas, where we uh, did our interview yesterday. It is a great moment out here in the state of Texas it, and the attention that was brought out to Van Horn. Because normally right now what's going on out in Van Horn, which is the big Ben sector, uh, all the bad news is about the illegal immigrants that are coming across. And we just recently had a uh, passenger trailer of 74 that the Border Patrol were able to apprehend at a checkpoint. So I think that in the middle of all the things that we have happening here in Texas with our lack of border security, just to have this bright spot, this good news, and to bring attention to the people out there in Van Horn, Texas, and think about what it did helping out some of those small all businesses and the local economy. That's a good thing for us. Uh, that is. Uh, I think it is a great thing because people don't understand, well, billionaires going to the space. Well, how many people did they employ? 
How many people will they employ? They're going to bring a whole sector to our economy. It's going to be civilian space travel. And those millionaires who you want to get more of their tax dollars, well, how would you like to put it into that space capsule? Of course, they pay taxes on that. Of course, there's going to be a whole bunch of engineers that are going to get employed by that. And what I also like about it, Colonel, is there's like a nine-year-old watching right now and saying, I want to do that. For 25 years, we haven't had much to look up to, or at least the last 10, we haven't had a space shuttle program. And now you have the private sector getting involved in NASA fueled uh, to go to Mars. We got probes delivering uh, delivering uh, pictures. And then we have a probe that looks exactly like ours from China, also on Mars. So we are we are in a race against China in this respect. Don't you agree? No, you're absolutely right. And uh, that's that next great frontier. When you start to look at cyber, you start to look at space. That's one of the reasons why President Trump created the Space Force, because he knew that was a new dimension in the, uh, when you're competing against a geopolitical foe like China. But, you know, you can say what you want about Jeff Bezos, but today, as you just articulated, it once again shows the, the greatness of individual ingenuity and uh, the ability for individuals with their own entrepreneurial spirit to, to reach new heights. And I think that inspires a new generation, and it also creates more opportunities at the second and third and fourth level for people to be involved in this, uh, this new exploit, this new part of our space exploration. Yeah, I, I think that goes without saying. So now, uh, in Texas, I could not believe the scenes I was seeing yesterday with these illegal immigrants storming across uh, through a fence and through a gate. And, you know, I'm just watching this, Colonel. Why are we opening up the gate? Well, that's, that's the astronomical thing that I cannot answer, and I think that is what's so frustrating for a lot of people here in Texas. I'll be heading back down to the Del Rio sector on Thursday. They want this to stop. They want this to end. I think we're over one million people that have been detained just since January when Joe Biden came into office, have entered into uh, Texas or across our border legally, and those are the people that we know about. How about the hundreds of thousands that we don't know about? So you're witnessing an undermining of the sovereignty of the state of Texas, as well as the sovereignty of the United States of America. And who would have ever thought that we'd have a presidential administration that would do nothing about an invasion of illegal immigrants coming into our country? You know, and who, who would also have thought that Texans would be fleeing a fight? And that's what's happening with Democrats. They hopped on a plane without masks provided by Beto O'Rourke's super PAC, and they flew into Washington, D.C. or hailed as heroes. They met with the vice president, wanted to meet with the president, and everyone's patting them on the back, including Senator Schumer. It turns out at least six of them have the COVID-19 virus. Were they lying when they said they were vaccinated? We don't know. Or does it say that the vaccine's not as effective as we thought? We're not sure. We're not, I guess... In the in the know, well, worthy of getting the truth in that respect. Here's Beto O'Rourke, cut 14. To the Texas Democrats in Washington, D.C., we are so proud of you. Not only have you stopped the latest attack on voting rights in Texas, but your presence in D.C. is the moral leverage necessary to get the Senate and the president of the United States to do more to pass voting rights legislation there. So know that we're grateful for you, that we have your back here in Texas. And we wish you Godspeed in everything that you do going forward. So are they heroes? Uh, no, they're cowards. And Robert Francis O'Rourke is delusional. This is what you have to understand, that election integrity does not undermine voting rights. And if anything, it ensures that it strengthens your voting rights to make sure that these millions of illegal immigrants coming to our country don't get the opportunity to vote. 
But what Mr. O'Rourke fails to understand is that you have state legislators that have abandoned their duty, abandoned their posts. They're derelict in their duties. They're AWOL. They're deserters. And furthermore, Brian, they're up there advocating for the federal government to take over the enumerated power of the state of yep. Texas to conduct elections. They are. And here's what they're doing. And this is what Lindsey Graham brought up last night and I'm hearing about, too is they're looking to put in their $3.5 trillion, maybe bigger package. Uh, they're going to jam down a simply part of line vote. They want to put in voting infrastructure and immigration infrastructure, looking to legalize the million that have come in in the last six months, including the 188000 that came in in June. I, I'm, I know we're both not election lawyers and we're no, both not parliamentarians, but I asked this question. Can they actually do that in our democracy? Uh, no, they can't. But without a doubt, what you see is the fact that they control uh, the House, they control the Senate. But unless you get rid of the filibuster, you're not going to get the 60 votes necessary to pass something like that. And I think that's what they understand. And that's why you have these same Texas Democrats who are, are obstructing our legislative process here in Texas going up to Washington, D.C. and asking them to do what? Get rid of the filibuster that protects the rights of the minority in the legislative process so that they can ramp through their agenda. And the next thing you know, we have millions of people that are going to overnight become, quote-unquote, U.S. citizens and be allowed to vote. This is truly the undermining of our representative democracy, our constitutional republic, and I think that we need to message it as such instead of trying to allow these Democrats to be hailed as, as heroes. Absolutely. I just want to, I know you're uh, in a noisy location, but I want you to hear this. This is Jarvis Johnson. Uh, Jarvis is worried about their family back home in Texas. Listen why. Cut 15. Uh, my son oftentimes drives my car. Um, my car has state plates on it. I'm very fearful that my son, potentially, uh, with those state plates, and if, in fact, law enforcement are out looking uh, for us as they've gone to our offices and to our homes, that my son may get pulled over. Of course, I'm very fearful. I don't want uh, to even think about what the consequences could be because a routine traffic stop uh, in America is never routine when it comes to black men. He put a lot of uh, a lot of rhetoric in the, that statement. Yeah, I don't know if you know, he's state lawmaker Jarvis Johnson, a Democrat of Texas, now on the run, staying in a $200 a night hotel in D.C. Your thoughts? Well, first and foremost, Texas taxpayers are still footing the bill at $221 per day per diem for him who has, uh, you know, abandoned his post. Uh, look, I'm a black man. I'm right now. I'm driving on uh, the interstate, heading back home. I'm not worried about anyone pulling me over and, and being concerned about my skin color. If I'm breaking the law and I get pulled over, of course. But the thing is this. They're trying to make themselves out to be victims. They're not victims. And what should have happened is that Governor Abbott should have immediately said that there are 57 vacated positions in the Texas State House, and we're going to have special elections. If they want to stay up there in Washington, D.C., they can, but they should not be allowed to obstruct the legislative process here in Texas. And so I find uh, what this representative is saying, what he is doing, is absolutely reprehensible. Well, we'll find out how it's going to end when they eventually come back. They're going to wait for the end of this legislative session, and then the governor's going to do another one. So when they do come back, will yeah. they be arrested? 
Well, that's what the governor said is that he's going to arrest them. I would have taken a different approach and just said, look, we're going to have special elections. Your your positions are vacated. And if they want to come back to try to run for an open seat, they can, or they can stay in Washington, D.C. But the message has to be said that there are consequences to this type of behavior. And we have some of those representatives from the Texas State House Democrats who remain here in Texas. Uh, as far as I know, they have not been arrested. So no one is trying to hunt down these Texas State Democrats. So, again, that undermines the insidious, petulant rhetoric that this uh, state representative is talking about him being fearful for his son. So, Colonel West, if people want to support your run for governor, where do they, how do they go? How do they do it? Sure. You go to West, the number four, Texas.com. That's West for Texas.com. Got it. Uh, Colonel Allen West, uh, have a safe drive. I will talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Brian. God bless. You got it. Uh, listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls. Historic day. Uh, Jeff Bezos lands his Blue Origin uh, spacecraft uh, back home. Uh, everybody's intact. Everybody is healthy, including uh, the launch capsule intact. And so are the rocket that, that sent it into space. Uh, for three minutes and sent it back, about 60 miles up, right back. I have to say, by all means, I don't know the details. I've not been exposed yet. From what we see, it's an enormous success. It all happened uh, on this historic Tuesday. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Your calls, your insight next. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Billionaire humanoid Jeff Bezos launches himself into space tomorrow morning, and he made the rounds today with his crewmates to discuss the most fascinating thing about space exploration, him. Everybody who has been to space, every astronaut comes back and they say that it changed them somehow. I don't know how it's going to change me, but I know it's going to, and I'm excited to find out how. I don't know what it's going to mean for me. Everybody who's been to space says it changes them in some way, and I'm just really excited to figure out how it's going to change me. Personally, I hope it changes them into a person who pays any taxes. Unbelievable. I mean, is this what is his he's, problem? He's terrible. I mean, we pulled it because he's so terrible. Like, I mean, that's a joke, and everyone it, claps. Completely. I mean, what this guy has done for our economy, and I'm, I don't even know the guy. I never talked to the guy. I'm in awe of what he accomplished. Elon Musk has his critics. He probably shouldn't have tweeted that thing when those kids were stuck in a cave. I get it. But what he's done for the economy, what he's done with innovation, do you resent Thomas Edison? I hear he was a real jerk to work for. I'm being serious. But do you, re- do you resent Thomas Edison, what he's done for our economy and the world? That's where everything started. I mean, I, I'm astounded by these people. To sit there because you host a talk show and put down Jeff Bezos, who, by the way, probably hates Fox. I, and maybe he does, maybe he does, but he's always on with Neil. I guess he's been on with Neil before. But uh, I wish he paid some taxes. I mean, It's ridiculous. That's your joke? It's not a joke. Out of all the things you could say, right, there's so many things. And also, as Jonah Goldberg has told us, we don't tax wealth. We tax income. Right. Like, it's what our country is, like, one of the core things. Right, because we want people to continue to generate the economy and hire more people and do things like this, I thought. 
A uh, couple of things. The big uh, big story now is about uh, possibly masking up because Los Angeles County did it because the numbers are rising in Florida, because the numbers are rising in Texas. I think Missouri and California, the top five, uh, they're saying Republican governors uh, really push for the vaccine. Well, basically, Republican governors made sure everybody was exposed to the vaccine and they're making their own decisions. Now they think the problem is Facebook. They got yelled at. Then President Biden walked it back after that. Now they're saying, according to the uh, the National Pediatric Society, that kids as young as two years old should be masked up in school. Obviously, they're going to recommend everybody be masked up up until 12th grade. If you see the damage been done over the last 18 months, because especially the kids in primary school have not been masked. I was looking at some studies with child psychologists, and they were saying there's something about kids in development. They're able to tell emotions on people, whether it's fear, whether it's happiness, whether it's sadness, whether it's disappointment. They have been unable to see that amongst their teachers, classmates, and peers for the last 18 months. And if you think to yourself, if you're you know if you're not a parent yet, or were a parent, or it's been a while. Think about that. The stuff you take for granted. Uh, your parents are mad at you. Your teacher is happy with you. You have not been able to see that and detect that. And they are seeing emotional stunts, a stunted emotional growth among these kids. So for guys like Anthony Fauci to make these statements is, to me, bizarre and so irresponsible. Cut for I think that the American Academy of Pediatrics, you know, they're a thoughtful group. They analyze the situation, and if they feel that that's the way to go, I think that's a reasonable thing to do. When you have a degree of viral dynamics in the community and you have a substantial proportion of the population that is unvaccinated, that you really want to go the extra step, the extra mile. Okay. Do you ever, you know, he he said the, the child pediatrics, does he ever want to bring up the emotional side of it? It's always, well, to protect yourself, put on masks, put on two masks. Remember, that was that was a thing for a while. They also told us to wear goggles. Uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, he doesn't just take results, he analyzes them. Cut five. I think that very young children are not spreaders. They don't, they, it's very unlikely that they spread COVID. I think there's an enormous amount of damage in terms of their socialization, them becoming anxious, performance anxiety, problems with learning, potentially carbon dioxide retention, dizziness. By the way, having said all of that, Brian, I recommend masks for children, but they have a right to refuse, as do the parents. And the chances of them getting COVID or spreading it, by the way, the statistic on that is going to blow your way, Brian. Less than 1% chance of somebody with COVID in a school spreading it to another child. Less than 1% chance, right. and that was studied in four states. And guess what? They're not going to spread it to the teacher. That was the original pushback. And now they are not going to spread it to each other, or it's infinitesimal chance. So you say, well, I don't want to take a chance. I, I really like my kids. Okay, fine. Then why do you send them to school? I think that about an average 600 kids die of the common cold every year. It's too much of a risk. Why are we sending them to school? How many times do you send your kids sick to school to send a message, even though it's wrong in retrospect, that, you know, you got to play hurt sometimes? And now that's not going to be the case. So uh, sending a two-year-old, by the way, why is a two-year-old going to school? It's a daycare with a mask on is lunacy. They don't know how to wear it. It just denies him. You know what it's saying to a kid? Stop talking. You really want your kid to stop talking? From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This hour, it's going to be big. Uh, Barney and company will have a simulcast with us at, at about nine minutes before we're done, about 51. Uh, Dr. Marty McCarry as a uh, uh, professor of Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, author of The Price We Pay. He's going to be joining us uh, and to give us the latest on uh, the rise of this Delta variant, as well as uh, Colonel Alvin North. We always love having Lieutenant Colonel Alvin North on, especially when he's got a brand new book out called We Didn't Fight for Socialism, American Veterans Speak Up. Uh, meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Another prediction that is my favorite one, I must add, is that if I got elected, I'd bring the end to capitalism. <laughs> I never understood that one, but uh, we've heard an awful lot. Well, in six months into my administration, the U.S. economy has experienced the highest economic growth rate in nearly 40 years. Yeah, nothing to do with you. It's because the entire country was shut down. Don't you think it has something to do with it? And please tell me the capitalistic principles that are in any proposal that you have. Economics the Biden way. Uh, you cannot be serious. Print money we don't have to watch inflation grow, debt rise, the market crash, and claims the cure is spending more money we don't have on socialist programs we can't afford. Bidenomics, I want no part of it. Number two. To the Texas Democrats in Washington, D.C., we are so proud of you. Not only have you stopped the latest attack on voting rights in Texas, but your presence in D.C. is the moral leverage necessary to get the Senate and the President of the United States to do more to pass voting rights legislation Beta O'Rourke, I know, he's back. Has anyone thought this out? That's the question I have for the renegade Texas legislators who took Beto Bucks to charter a private plane, maskless to D.C., where now six have tested positive for COVID-19. End goal? Stop voting legislation from passing. The certain result? Their possible arrest and passage of the law they bizarrely feared and mischaracterized. Number one. I think that the American Academy of Pediatrics, you know, they're a thoughtful group. They analyze the situation, and if they feel that that's the way to go, I think that's a reasonable thing to do. Oh, you really want to go the extra step, the extra mile. Yeah, uh, mask up or shoot up. I thought that was the choice when it comes to vaccines. Both would let, uh, would keep us safe, right? Now we see cases rise for fully vaccinated, and there's a new push to mask up kids two and up. I'm not kidding. Let the facts first. Let the facts be first before the inevitable lockdowns come rocketing back. And that's where we'll start. Uh, Anthony Fauci is now testifying on Capitol Hill with the CDC director. Good luck with that. Uh, we know he's going to talk in extremist fashion. Tonight, I'll be hosting 7 o'clock on primetime. I'll talk to Senator Rand Paul. Uh, they are arch nemesis for a very good reason. Uh, Anthony Fauci uh, is full of it. Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, welcome back to the show. <laughs> great to be with you. I love that top three. That's great. I, I, but Colonel, are you frustrated as I am? I, did you, you know, you get vaccinated, we're told... Go live your life. Now they're looking to lock us down again. Oh, yeah. You know, Betsy and I are in that category when we were the first in line. And so we've, we've not been wearing masks in Virginia uh, among, our, um, among our family now yet. We've yet to do that. So we've got 28, you know, members of our immediate family. That's the, the, our kids and their wives and husbands and, and their offspring, 28 of us. And none of us have tested positive. Now, 
in, it's interesting because some of the kids go to school in Maryland, and they actually went to school. But we're in Virginia, which is very much like New York, right? Same kind of governor. Uh, Northam is the, Northam is famous for being or infamous for being a baby killer, a gun grabber, and a race baiter. And thankfully, he cannot succeed himself. And hopefully, we'll have a, a Republican governor. The backlash, I think, is beginning, uh, and the backlash is going to be against the crazies. It's against the power hungry like Fauci. It's against the guys that are, that are like your governor in New York and, and my governor in Virginia that are power hungry. And the, I think what we're going to see, I'm praying for this, is we're going to see a backlash in this in this so-called mid, midterm election in 2022. And that's the, that, that may be the only hope we have as a country. Uh, absolutely. Because, I mean, the thing is, too, it's, we just want to have an opportunity to live your life. And make our own decisions. Since when do I have to check with President Biden on my health care? you kidding me? We know about what Warp Speed gave us. We know he's done a good job making sure it's accessible to all. We're ahead of every other country. It's great news. Now, make sure people uh, understand where they can get it. Your job is done after that. Then it's up to me. You know, people are deciding to smoke out there. That's pretty dangerous. Or vape. It's pretty dangerous. Cliff dive or play rugby. These are dangerous things. They didn't check with me to do it. Why do they have? Why do I have to check with the president to do this? Well, why? Why does the president have agencies of our government who know what your medical condition is? I mean, think about that. You know, HIPAA. When when Betsy was when we took Betsy up to the Mayo Clinic to, to deal with some issues, and I left one of the kids' names off the HIPAA form, and she calls up and she says, they won't tell me what they told you and mom. And so HIPAA is so fiercely yep. protected that a kid can't find out about their mother, a husband can't find out about his wife without their permission. And yet the government of the United States has your data and mine as to whether we got the shot, what shot it was, when we got it. And, oh, by the way, maybe you need to go get another one because Fauci was wrong and probably mask up again anyway. Right. Uh, We know he's been wrong about so much and never admits it. (laughs) And so now the the national pediatrics, I know you have grandkids. uh, uh, Everyone uh, older than two should wear a mask regardless of vaccination status when schools reopen. Really? The WHO even said kids under five should be required, should not be required to wear masks. And now, it's not good for them. Yeah, 165 yeah. deaths, zero to four in the entire world. That's zero percent statistically. Five right. to 17, 0.1 percent. Colonel North, you live a life of risk. Even when you were done serving, you went over there and covered these wars, and there weren't <laughs> luxurious accommodations, and it was risky, right? <laughs> I but was you, going on with you guys early in the morning. Because remember, you're eight or nine hours, depending on whether it's daylight saving time. You're eight or nine hours off the lifespan back here in the United States, you know, the time zones in the United States. And I loved going on with you guys early in the morning because over there, we've already been up for uh, the better part of a day. Yeah. And so we've got some good gunfight footage. 64 embeds with different American units over there. And, you know, one of the great blessings of my life is to be able to keep company with heroes. The very first hero I ever knew was my dad, and who was an honest-to-God, real, live, walk-and-talking American war hero from World War II, part of the greatest generation. And I got to keep company with these guys for 17 years. And I will, I'll share this with you and your audience. Fox News, get this, Fox News paid me a lot more to get shot at than the United States Marine Corps. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I wouldn't say I loved every minute, but I loved the people I was with. And that's why we wrote this book, because it's all about how to save this country through the eyes of 500 guys who served our country 
most of them in harm's way. Some of them shot and hurt pretty doggone badly. And they're deeply concerned about where Biden has taken this country. And I, I said in this book, I said, the November 3rd election was a crossroads for America. And we could have gone to, to the ideas and ideals of having you know, the, find, the founder's dream, a place where individual liberty and self-determination, free enterprise, personal responsibility, equal opportunity, were all part of what would flourish in this country. And now, the other path is the one we're on, we're, we're headed off into a philosophy. It's not even, it's not even a, a, a full-fledged ideology. The socialist Marxists who are beating the drum out there are taking this country off the edge of the cliff. You covered some of that in your big three. I mean, the fact that we're, yeah. we're destitute. We have 18 grandkids, Brian. I'm really concerned. How the heck are these kids going to pay their way out of, out of the, the debt that's been built up by these guys? Yeah, it's not going to happen because we're at $33 trillion. He's going to they have a compromise bill of $1 trillion. They may or may not pass. Schumer wants it passed by tomorrow. It's yeah. not written yet. So they said, really? You're not even in the negotiations. You want us to pass what? And now they say by September they're writing $3.5 trillion and might include immigration infrastructure and voting yeah. infrastructure. But yeah. listen to Joe Biden yesterday. Tell me, uh, and try not to laugh, cut 22. Folks, it turns out capitalism is alive and very well. We're making serious progress to ensure that it works the way it's supposed to work, for the good of the American people. So for all those predictions of doom and gloom six months in, here's where we stand. Record growth, record job creation, workers getting hard-earned breaks, Look, we brought this economy back from the brink, and we've designed our strategy not only to provide for a temporary boost, but to lay the foundation for a long-term boom. He wants every month, uh, every parent, to get $250 per kid uh, for, to inf- forever. Well, I mean, this well, is back to the 1970s. Well, it is. And this is actually, this goes all the way back to Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson, in his wildest nightmares... Uh, and, and the craziness of his great society could not get through the Congress the kinds of things that this president is getting through. Think about what this means. It means that every time a woman has a child, she will get more for having the child. She'll get less if the husband moves back into the house, right? So she's going to have to be constantly pregnant, constantly more kids. And it's, I mean, it's unbelievably cynical what these people are doing. And and I... What bothers me most of all is you've got some Republicans that are nodding their heads and saying, well, we we could do some of this. If the federal government takes over the election process in this country, we will have a repeat of what happened last November, and you're going to end up with a permanent, if you will, autocracy of socialists running the government of the United States. Because his idea of capitalism is very much like what what you've got in the early stages in Venezuela, in Cuba, in places like communist China. Communist China has capitalism, but it's a communist country. And they dictate what you can do, what you can build, how you can build it. Ultimately, that's our great source of opportunity in this country, is Brian Kilmeade can go out and invent something. Ali North, I've got three U.S. patents, right? I didn't have to beg the government for the permission to start the process, but I patented three different kinds of ballistic protective equipment. 
that, that the government of the United States used for U.S. military personnel. We built the only turret for a Humvee that would repel an RPG. I mean, and that was the free enterprise system. Some great young scientists and I sat down and we designed this thing, and it worked. And I look at what's happening today where this government is going to tell people how they can prosper, what they should do, and the idea that we're going to, we're going to create a society where the deception, the deceit, the, the, if you will, the division and the destroying of opportunity in America is going to be writ large. I, I see this as a very serious issue. And the American people, we the people, can fix it. Yeah, and people can fix it in 2022. Uh, Colonel North has his brand new book, and we didn't fight for socialism. America's veterans speak up. Uh, Colonel, I got to ask you, you know, Joe Biden, what was your interaction with Joe Biden like when you were the whole Iran-Contra stuff? Well, you know, he, interestingly enough, he was absent from almost all of it. I mean, he would make comments off to the side. As you know, John Kerry is a friend of his. Kerry was just a vicious junkyard dog about the whole thing and about as long as you could possibly be. Even after the hearings that everybody saw in the summer of 87, Kerry was the subcommittee on terrorism that tried to drag me back through the whole thing again. And finally, the courts just said, this is enough of this crap. You know, thank God the Supreme Court fi- and ended up with nine justices, five to four, and threw the whole thing out. So, at, at, the end of the day, at the end of the day, I, I did not come away cynical. I came away knowing that I'd served in the administration of the greatest president of my lifetime, Ronald Reagan. I, I'm sorry some of, his, some of the things that he wanted to do didn't get done, and I'm sorry that, quite frankly, that he's not here to lead this country in the right direction again. Because what we've got right now is a disaster. What, what, is, your, what is the Biden that you know compared to this one? I did not know he was uh, pro-crime. I did not know he was, uh, he was such a socialist. Well, he's a socialist. Did you uh, think so back then? No, no. Quite frankly, none of us ever thought possible that this guy would actually rise to even being vice president. I mean, if you, if you look what Obama succeeded in doing, he put in place a bureaucracy that for four years was repressed, suppressed a little bit, but that bureaucracy gave us Joe Biden. And Barack Obama was incredibly wise, if you, if you understand the, the levers of power, extremely wise about what he did to put people in places where they're still there. And, and if you look at what's co- the consequence of Joe Biden being president, an awful lot of this stuff is coming out of the old Obama team. Got it. So Obama, Obama really did bring about a dramatic change, and Biden has taken advantage of it. He is. Uh, Colonel, congratulations on the book. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Lieutenant Colonel Alvin North, pick up his book, We Didn't Fight for Socialism. Thanks, Colonel. Semper Fi, buddy. You got Appreciate it. it. Uh, when we come back, we open up the phones, 1-866-408-7669. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. In terms of the American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, their report yesterday, one thing they did say that I fully agree with is that it is imperative for all children to get back to school in person. That was in bold in their statement and I agree with it. Aside from that, that statement was more about social change and social policy and it was very light on the science. I completely disagree. 
that uh, children over 12 who are vaccinated should wear a mask. And I think there is a strong argument that children uh, under 12 should not wear a mask, or at least that should be uh, part of a debate and not just assumed. Exactly. Now the American Academy of Pediatrics said that. Admiral Juror pushes back. I trust him. The WHO says no children under five should be required to wear a mask. Uh, Joe, listen to WRCN. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. What's on your mind? Oh, I didn't even talk to anybody. Screen it. Good morning. Uh, listen, Brian, scientific community cannot be trusted anymore. I told you this once before. They're part of the same cabal. Listen, remember 15 days to stop the spread is 550 days. I worked for the president, Dr. Luke Cooper. I told you it's all about the money. He had Kofi Annan out of his house in East Hampton. He was the president and a great man. He was the president of the American Pediatrics uh, and uh, Technical Advisory Group. And the, uh, on, on the immunization of internal pediatrics, like I said, Copian was out of the house. The UN, the World Health Order, the uh, big tech, they're all part, and the DNC, they're all intermingled, interchanging part. This comes down to funding to the money, to the lab university. Big pharma doesn't make money unless they put these jabs and vaccine into people. Thanks so much, Joe. Appreciate it. Uh, let's go. I want you to hear from uh, Jay Bacciara, professor at Stanford. Uh, he was on with Tucker last night with all this vaccine mania. Cut eight. The vaccine, in some ways, and actually in many ways, the, the rollout in the United States and the U.K. has been an enormous success. We have decoupled cases from deaths because the vaccine, I mean, it, it does protect against severe disease, especially among the old who face a very high risk of death and hospitalization, maybe 4 or 5% if they get infected, this protects against that, uh, I mean, quite effectively, not 100%, but quite effectively. Uh, the cases are rising in the U.K., yet the deaths haven't risen. They have solved COVID in some sense. They have now have focused protection. They should be cheering the success to the sky. Instead, we have this demonization and blame and politicization, which has characterized much of the public health uh, sort of response to the epidemic, and is really unfortunate. It is more than unfortunate. It is uh, agonizing for most of America. Doesn't know what to believe. Uh, so we'll keep it here and try to give the experts their chance in the sun. Your call's next. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, a total of 335 Americans under the age of 18 have died from coronavirus in this country. That's the number. But what does that number mean exactly? The CDC did not provide any specific information on the circumstances of those deaths. And the circumstances can be all important. So researchers at Johns Hopkins, led by Dr. Marty McCary, looked closely at those numbers and what they actually meant. And here's what they found. Quote, a mortality rate of zero among children without a pre-existing medical condition such as leukemia. Oh, leukemia is a very serious underlying medical condition. So does that mean that no one under 18 without a serious underlying medical condition died from COVID? Seems that way. 
Dr. Marty McCarty writes about that, uh, which is what Tucker Carlson talked about. Uh, he writes about that in the Wall Street Journal and joins us now. Dr. McCarty, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. The author of his book is The Price We Pay. Dr. McCarty, first off, on did, uh, did Tucker characterize your study correctly? Yeah, that's right. You know, there's 335 deaths that the CDC has on their website, and it says involving COVID. So when I saw that, I said, look, uh, CDC, have you called these families? Have you called their doctors of each of the 335 people? And the answer was no. And so we don't know if those numbers are verified. We don't know if they're clustered in healthy people or people with comorbid conditions. It's amazing. They've got 21,000 employees over there. So you would think they have the resources to look into what they're putting out there. So this is the CDC. You expect to look into this? That's right. You know, we have put draconian restrictions and stolen the livelihoods of 50 million kids in the United States over one number, the 335 deaths from COVID over a year and a half. By the way, 500 kids die of RSV virus, which causes the common cold. So don't you think we have a duty to look into it and at minimum figure out, are they all kids who had organ transplants? Are they all obese kids? Are they all mostly healthy kids? Turns out they're probably almost all, if not all, kids with comorbid conditions. So that makes a big difference, right? Because you don't figure out mammograms work in women and then recommend them for men. And that's what the fallacy of what they've done. Uh, no kidding. Uh, so we have a, a situation now where we have a variant and the variant is giving you some mixed results. Uh, previously infected individuals appear to be more susceptible to reinfection by the Delta variant. So if you've had the virus and have antibodies, you seem to be more susceptible to reinfection. The Pfizer vaccine is also estimated to be 10 to 30 percent less effective at preventing symptomatic illness. The Chinese vaccine appears to be less effective. Uh, big shocker. Vaccines are still effectively uh, at preventing severe illness. Have you hear, seen these numbers? Yeah, so there is a lot of discussion right now as to whether or not the vaccinated immunity is starting to wane a little bit. Not in, not in its protection of saving you from death or serious illness. What we're talking about, it's, it's um, ability to protect you from getting the infection. We're seeing more breakthrough infections. And it's not a public health concern or threat at this point, because most of these are asymptomatic or very mild but it is something we're tracking. And by the way, those with natural immunity, we're not seeing those breakthrough infections at the same rate. So get vaccinated, lessen the chances of getting it, and lessen the symptoms if you get it. That's right. And the outbreaks that we're seeing right now are in small communities where those vaccina vaccination rates are low. We don't have another wave. We don't have a, another pandemic. What we have are regional outbreaks in people who are not vaccinated. And that's in um, Missouri and Louisiana and parts of Florida, parts of Texas, Arkansas. And we're going to keep seeing it. Uh, modelers right now that I trust, not most of them, but the ones I trust, are saying these cases are going to probably increase until about the first week of September. So if you're not vaccinated and you haven't had the infection, you really should get vaccinated. How do you feel about this L.A. County putting the mask law for indoor in effect for everybody? Well, they're panicking. They're not they don't know what's coming. And they're sort of predicting that even if you're vaccinated, that immunity is going to you know, give way. And I think it sends the wrong message. We actually don't have any real data to support that. Um, also, you know, we can't kill our economy 
a, a fifth time because what are all the conference organizers going to think about Los Angeles? I mean, it's our second largest city in the in the country. What about the business travelers? What are they going to think? What See, are I can't believe you're a doctor and think like this. I've never heard doctors even bring that up. Well, the number one predictor of health status has always been in public health socioeconomic status. And when you knock people into poverty, guess what? You see it on the health outcomes. True. Uh, I see it. Now, I have been talk- reading everything I can from child psychologists and the effect of wearing a mask for, for these kids. Uh, they do recommend, the American Pediatric uh, Society, uh, they do recommend that kids two and up, I don't know who's going to school with two years old, but two and up, <laughs> wear a mask. Uh, Anthony Fauci heard that. Here's his reaction. Cut four. I think that the American Academy of Pediatrics, you know, they're a thoughtful group. They analyze the situation, and if they feel that that's the way to go, I think that's a reasonable thing to do. When you have a degree of viral dynamics in the community and you have a substantial proportion of the population that is unvaccinated, that you really want to go the extra step, the extra mile. So viral dynamic dynamics. Thanks for trying to speak over my head. Uh, it really worked. So so if you feel that two-year-olds should wear a mask, he thinks that, that this organization is credible enough to do it. Gosh, that, that was classic, Dr. Fauci, wasn't it? I mean, basically using the words considerable, a degree, um, may want to consider extra step. I mean, he's basically saying nothing except he's trying to appease the American Academy of Pediatrics in their recommendation. And that's Dr. Fauci, right? He wants to tiptoe around every issue and, and keep everyone happy in the medical elite. Um, the reality is I'd love to see the data. He should be ashamed of himself, by the way. The NIH last year spent $41 billion on research grants. 0.4% of that went to COVID. If he is so convinced that masks are needed in kids two and a half years old, why didn't he fund the study? I'd love to see the data. There's no data. And that's because he has not funded that study. So, I mean, that's that's the irony of it all. I'm just getting that now. You, I just wrote this down. $41 billion in the NIH budget. And you say 0.4% went to COVID research? That's right. That's a new Johns Hopkins study that I'll be putting out. It's forthcoming. It's a an American tragedy how the NIH, with $41 billion in grants, by the way, they had $80 billion, but they, they give away half of it in grants. Last year, during COVID, four-tenths of 1% went to COVID. And by the way, it wasn't even for the key COVID questions. It wasn't even for key COVID research like, how does it spread? It went to health disparities in COVID, an important topic. But, I mean, how about how does it spread and when are you contagious? Those basic questions went unanswered because of the rigidity of the NIH. And as a result, we had a vacuum of information and political opinions filled that vacuum. Well, I'll tell you what. I have Senator Rand Paul, who seems to be a very sensible guy, especially during this he, I'm going to pay this exact soundbite to him. I don't think he knows that, which you just said. And I've never heard that. They have an $80 billion budget. Uh, they give away $40 billion. They took $41 billion and spent 0.4% on COVID-19 research. And if what is more important, if you, and I believe the most important thing is kids in school, perhaps, 1A or 1B, how could you not be putting all your resources to that? I don't think anyone's noticed this, this sort of... Uh, you know, irony. And so my research team has gone back through all the grants the NIH gave last year 
and we're characterizing them and showing the pathetic inability of the NIH to pivot to a health emergency except for one area, and that is throw money at pharma for a vaccine. That's the one piece they did well. The clinical stuff, they left all of us uh, without the data we needed to address this pandemic. So uh, let me ask some. There was a big, I had Dan Crenshaw on last night. He said planes tend to cleanse themselves every three minutes by their air circulating system. Do you, do you, would you get behind stopping masks in planes? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, we should not even be testing people who are fully vaccinated and have no symptoms. That's ironically a CDC guideline that nobody follows. At some point, we got to move on, right? Because if we use the current criteria for wearing masks in every aspect of American life, we're going to be in this situation in perpetuity forever because we're going to have viruses circulate in society at this level or lower. We're already way below some other viruses. As a matter of fact, in kids, the risk of COVID-19 virus probably ranks number two or three in the risk of viruses that can hurt kids. And in adults right now, it's also low. So uh, we could be in a situation forever. And some people do want the pandemic to go forever, as you know. Uh, the, yeah. Because so Anthony Fauci, I think, gets paid by the appearance. Uh, I think he's been the biggest letdown in America. <laughs> and I hope he's disgraced by the time his book comes out uh, in the fall. I hope he's on that track because he has let all of us down in every way. And for some reason, people still give him a forum, yet he says nothing. Thanks so much. Yeah. I appreciate you joining yeah. uh, us, Dr. McCrory. Making a lot of sense. Pick up his book, uh, and I look forward to your study. It's it's called The Price We Pay. Thank you, Dr. McCrory. Thanks so much, Brian. All right, we're going to do a simulcast on FBN with the great uh, Stuart Varney in just a moment. It's an historic day, too. Blue Origin has went up into the sky, into space, and come back down. Jeff Bezos, his brother, and the other two uh, members of the crew, all okay. History made. Don't move. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We'll take your calls on the back end of this, 1-866-408-7669. But we're looking at the space flight of Blue Origin, the Bezos brothers. Uh, Bezos brothers got in uh, at the same time, the oldest and youngest uh, to ever go into space and back. Also went in, 18-year-old, multi-billionaire family, put his 18-year-old into um, into the sky, and we have a female, uh, uh, a female astronaut never got to go into space. She's 82, finally had her moment. So it's a good time, and I think it's a great time for the economy because I think it's going to be commonplace now. The commercial flight will be happening, fully automated, four people on the inside. Uh, NASA put it up many times, 16 separate times, put it up. We saved the, ca- uh, we saved the rocket and landed almost the exact spot it took off from. And then coming down to the parachute uh, was the basis capsule. So let's listen in. On the show. Uh, Brian, I just want to report here. Axios is reporting that an aide to Speaker Pelosi has tested positive for COVID. That's all I know at this point. But that raises the serious issues of fleeing Texas Democrats, going to D.C., announcing that a couple of them have COVID, no masks. They're mixing and mingling. Some have to go into quarantine. You know, it's a mess, isn't it, Brian? A mess and a half. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Texas uh, Democrats doing everything Texans shouldn't do, run from a fight. 
instead of sitting out there and making a case, they rather run and be hailed as heroes, fly without masks on, which, by the way, I talked to Dan Cranshaw last night. He said they did a study. Every three minutes, new air comes in. It's one of the safest places to be without a mask. Having said all that, they said they were all vaccinated. I watched Carl Rove. He said that Texas legislators all had to be vaccinated, so he takes them at their word they were and didn't skip the line or, or call in sick that day, and six tested positive. I understand, according to stats that were still coming up with, the Pfizer vaccines estimated to be between 10 and 30 percent less effective in preventing symptoms of this illness for the vaccinated. Uh, the Chinese vaccine almost uh, it doesn't help almost at all. Uh, so if you're not if you're not vaccinated, more of a chance you're going to get it. And you're going to get uh, be hospitalized, but doesn't say necessarily it's going to happen. They say 97 and 90 percent of those hospitalized are non-vaccinated. So you might want to get vaccinated, especially if you're in a risk group. But I'm not going to tell you to go get vaccinated because I don't come to you for medical advice. You don't come to me for medical advice. We go to doctors for medical advice. Well, let's let's talk about Dr. Fauci. He says kids two and up should be wearing masks. Um, What do you say to that? I mean, I, I don't get it. Honestly, I don't get it. But what do you make of it? What I make of it is total irresponsible. They throw a study at him. He says, sounds good to me. Why? Because he's in that medical community where he wants to get invited to everybody's Christmas party, perhaps. But I just had Dr. McCauley on. He said this, and I played that soundbite for him. And he said, $80 billion is the budget for the NIH that he's control of. He gives away $40 billion. He spent $41 billion. He spent 0.4% on COVID-19. I ask you parents, grandparents, I ask you kids and teens, wouldn't you have loved some of the dollars, our money, by the way, spent on COVID-19 study, for example, kids in school? How does it that the WHO of all people say five and under should not be wearing masks, vaccinated or not vaccinated, but the Pediatric Society says they should? Have they met a two-year-old and three-year-old? Do you know when you put that mask well, yes. on their face, they stop talking? Exactly. That, uh, we're not considering that side of the equation here. You want young children, two, three, four, five years old, to socialize. They've got to look at each other, talk to each other, laugh, smile, communicate with each other. You can't do that with a mask on. I think that's a terrible downside for the insistence that kids wear masks in schools. So I spent a lot I, what of do you time. Say to that? And if I could just expand on that, uh, uh, Stuart. So I, I, last night, just preparing for the 7 o'clock show, which will be on again tonight, I just said, okay, let me get a child psychologist. Is that of opinion? The child psychologist said it's very important for kids that young. I never thought about this to be able to see fear, to see sadness, to see happiness, see discontent. For a teacher to notice it in a kid, and for a kid to notice it in a friend, and for a kid to notice it in an adult. When you take that away every single day, eight hours a day, now you're talking 18 months if they're going to do this in the fall. How do you not affect the kid? Don't tell me you're protecting him or her because there's a better chance of them dying from the common cold than there is from COVID-19 by everything that's out there today. Yeah, I just can't see masks today, tomorrow, and forever. I just can't see it. Certainly not for the kids. Brian, thanks for being with us. Strong stuff, and we appreciate it. All right, go get him. Uh, Thanks, Stuart. Hey, Bob, listen in Danbury, Connecticut. Hey, Bob. Hey, Brian, really quick. I just want to, what you guys just talked about, back in the 70s in high school and social studies, we learned about Chinese communist social takeover, and masks were part of that. 
And what you said this morning about like kids can't, you know, their expressions and everything else, this is all part of that new world order. I'm telling you, it's, we learned about this 30 years ago. Yeah, we did. And we're not getting the responsibility. By the way, I'm watching fireworks now between Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci. Uh, Anthony Fauci has done more damage to this country than, uh, than anybody I know through this pandemic. And he continues to get center stage and be highlighted. And Dr. Rand Paul has done fantastic work questioning him and getting people to look into his budgets, his, uh, uh, his liabilities, and his inaccuracies better than everybody else. And it looks like Fauci is definitely rattled. And I'll bring you some of that uh, as we get it, uh, as it comes in. Uh, I'd like to dip in, too, uh, if we could, uh, to hear some of that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's unbelievable because this guy is never forced to answer a question. He looks at a study and he underlines it. If it's a, it's a study that uh, makes him look good, he uh, highlights it and never turns down an appearance opportunity. Absolute joke. Uh, meanwhile, as we look at this study, we're finding out that Los Angeles County and Las Vegas are the ones wearing a mask. Thankfully, Washington State, by the way, Fauci's rattled. Uh, thankfully, Washington State is not going back to the mask, and that's as liberal a governor as they have, and they're not going back to lockdowns. And believe it or not, Mayor de Blasio says, I'll emphasize vaccines, not indoor masking. I don't expect them to hold out for too much longer. I do expect Florida and Texas to get on the other side of this, even though the numbers are going up. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to watch me tonight on primetime at 7 and go to briankillme.com. Order all my books. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. We appreciate you, uh, you being here. It's kind of one of these uh, days in which a lot of stuff is going on because we have the Blue Origin now going to space. To one week before, it was Richard Branson going into space. What it did is it created a whole, this whole dynamic of talking about should billionaires be spending their money in space when people need food at home? The answer is yes, and we'll get into that with Susan Lee in just a moment from FBN. And Jamie Metzl at the bottom of the hour, he says to you, I'm a progressive Democrat. I work for two Democratic administrations, and I got huge problems with the way the Chinese have handled this pandemic, not taking responsibility for it. He thinks there's a lot out there that has yet to be discussed. He's also a WHO advisor, and uh, he was with us last night at 7 o'clock. I'll be on tonight again at 7 on Fox News primetime, and uh, we'll discuss more on that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Fabric, the easiest way to get affordable life insurance. Learn how to protect your family against the unexpected at meetfabric.com slash Brian. Number three. Another prediction that is my favorite one, I must add, is that if I got elected, I'd bring the end to capitalism. <laughs> I never understood that one, but... Uh, We've heard an awful lot. Well, in six months into my administration, the U.S. economy has experienced the highest economic growth rate in nearly 40 years. 
I do. I explain the end of capitalism. Economics the Biden way. And to quote John McEnroe, you cannot be serious. Print money we don't have. Watch inflation grow. Debt rise. The market crash. And then claim the cure is spending more money we don't have on socialist programs we can't afford. The Bidenomics, well, it's scary stupid. Number two. To the Texas Democrats in Washington, D.C., we are so proud of you. Not only have you stopped the latest attack on voting rights in Texas, but your presence in D.C. is the moral leverage necessary to get the Senate and the president of the United States to do more to pass voting rights legislation. Wow, it's so disheartening to hear Beto O'Rourke still around, but his super PAC did finance the exit of these Democratic legislatures. How anyone thought this was a good idea? The question I have for the renegade Texas legislators who took Beto Bucks to charter a private plane massless to D.C., where now six have tested positive COVID-19. The end goal, stop voting legislation from passing. The certain result? Their arrest and passage of the law they bizarrely feared and mischaracterized. Number one. I think that the American Academy of Pediatrics, you know, they're a thoughtful group. They analyze the situation, and if they feel that that's the way to go, I think that's a reasonable thing to do. Hey, you really want to go the extra step, the extra mile. Yeah, the thoughtful group. So if they're a thoughtful group, let's listen to them. I hate those unthoughtful groups. I don't <laughs> listen to them at all. Mask up or shoot up. I thought that was the choice when it came to vaccines. Both would keep us safe, right? Now we say cases are rising for fully vaccinated, and there's a new push to mask up for kids two and up. I am not kidding. Let's get the facts first before the inevitable lockdowns come rocketing back. Susan Lee, welcome. Hi there. We had a lot to get through. We did, apparently. So, lock up or shoot up? Is that what I heard you say? Yeah, is that wrong? <laughs> what <laughs> well, was that I mean, a reference to? Well, I'm, I'm shoot up. Oh, not drugs, not fentanyl. <laughs> or I don't. How do you take fentanyl? Uh, Eric, do we know? Eric, Eric does not know. Asking Eric. I just thought I'd ask. He seems to know a lot. Oh. Allison's been off drugs for quite a while. So I hear. Yeah. Yeah, she looks that, like it. That looks she's right. much more effective and productive uh, <laughs> off them. Uh, but I just say you get the vaccine. So I, I chose to get the vaccine. But I'm not going to recommend it to people because I don't give medical advice to people. Do you? No, I try not to. Although my mother would always say, you know, you should drink what hot chicken soup. That's okay. Get more rest. That's all right. Less stress would be great. Recommendations, there- not demands. <laughs> That's true. That's all we not ask man- for. So, um, Susan, I want you to listen to this because I only watched it in the break when it was, as you know, Anthony Fauci and the CDC director on Capitol Hill trying to explain this new variant and their many proclamations. And here is the sparring session that happens every time Senator Rand Paul speaks to him. What we're alleging is the gain of function research was going on in that lab and NIH funded it. That is not. Get away from it. It meets your definition and you are obfuscating the truth. I'm not obfuscating the truth. You are the one. Time is expired, but I will allow the witness to. Let me just finish. I want everyone to understand that if you look at those viruses, and that's judged by qualified virologists and evolutionary biologists. Those viruses are molecularly impossible no one's to result they are. No in SARS-CoV-2. Cause the pandemic. Paul, we're look. saying they are gain-of-function viruses because they were They're animal not. viruses that became more transmissible in human, and you funded it. And you, you admit the truth. And you implying, Senator Paul, your time has expired, and I will allow witnesses right. who come before this committee to respond. And, and you are implying. That what we did was responsible for the deaths of individual. I totally resent that. And if anybody is lying been. here, Senator, it is you. He is wow. rattled. Wow, that was powerful. Right. I'm going to have Rand Paul tonight at 7 to have that more. And everything that he said came out in a lot of these emails. So a lot of these NIH interactions. This is a whole 
part of this world body, the WHO and the NIH, that I never knew about. Mm-hmm. And remember early on in the pandemic as well, because when I was going to fly over to see my mom, you know, in, in, in Canada, in, in Canada, but in Asia, you know, my Asian heritage, they usually wear masks. And I asked, you know, I was looking at CDC guidelines, should I be wearing masks? This was in March, in February, before the whole border shut down. And actually, NIH and you had Anthony Fauci saying, no, you don't need to wear a mask. So I was thinking, well, after that, the fact that early on you couldn't tell me the right procedures to take, and then all of a sudden, yes, you should be wearing masks, and masks until afterwards for 18 months, that kind of changed my whole perspective on the recommendations. Susan, think of what we learned in a year. He's 82. Yes. And if he doesn't know right away about masks and being sure, now he wants everything to be safe. I was just fascinated by this. Johns Hopkins just did a study. Dr. McCarry just talked to us about it. Evidently, NIH has an $80 billion budget. They spend $40 billion giving it to other organizations and grants, $41 billion in the NIH budget. So how much do you think they put towards COVID-19 last year? Ooh, uh, out of that budget, $40 billion, you would think maybe at least 70%. How about 0.4%? Wow. How is that acceptable when you have parents going, can I send my third grader to school without a mask or at school at all? Yeah, and how does that motivate people to want to pay higher taxes when it's not going to the right places and for bigger government? It's it's unbelievable, and I just think, and I thought Dr. McCarty brought up a good point, and for a doctor, he said when L.A. County is panicking, making them wear a mask, he says it's it's terrible for the economy. And I said, since when is a doctor talking about the economy? He says, is everything to do with health? Because if people are economically uh, in strife or trouble, yeah. it hurts their health. So let me make a decision, but let me make a living. Mm-hmm. Haven't we learned that in the last year? Yeah, haven't. but the stock market, as you know, you, you've seen the sell-off yesterday, yesterday, right? Don't look at your 401k yesterday. It's recovering a bit today, but it's because of people's concerns over, first of all, the recommendations and the, and the actual recommendations that they're getting from the government itself, where this Delta variant is going. Are we going to go back into lockdowns? And what does that mean for the rest of the global economy? So uh, what does the market think about an economy that's $33 trillion in, in debt, debt that now has a president who is looking to, at the very least, spend a lot more and how it's going to get funded? If he does fund it, it's going to be on corporate tax rise. It's going to be on higher tax rates, uh, higher tax rates all around. Listen to what he said about inflation. Cut 18. We also know that as our economy has come roaring back, we've seen some price increases. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are, were expected and are expected to be temporary. Reality is you can't flip the global economic light back on and not expect this to happen. As demand returns, there's going to be global supply chain challenges. We have global supply chain challenges. What do you think about the math? Well, if you take it from the Federal Reserve, which I think is a de facto expert in this country, the central bank has actually changed and transitioned what they call transitory from, what, two to three months. Now they think it's going to be higher prices for the rest of this year. Did they tell him that? Well, I'm sure they probably did, and he probably listens to Jay Powell over at the Federal Reserve. But for the average folks, how do you like paying 5% more when you're not making 5% more in wages? If you want to hit every man, sometimes we talk about things and it doesn't hit people like the market. Well, I'm not invested. You probably don't realize you have 401K. But if you want to hit the mailman as well as the person working the forklift at Costco, yeah. you tell them lumber's going to cost more. You tell them tire's going to cost more. You tell them gas is going to cost more. All of that rental I cars. just said, rental cars, all of that I just said is true. And 
and getting a car yeah. is going to cost more. How about your daily coffee? It's going to cost 16% more. Bacon, as you know from last time, I'm obsessed with it. You're paying a lot more there. And all your protein, your meats, and just putting food on the table. Is this cheerleading cut 19? I want to be clear. My administration understands that if we were to ever experience unchecked inflation over the long term, that would pose a real challenge to our economy. So while we're confident that isn't what we're seeing today, we're going to remain vigilant about any response that is needed. Well, is the only response I see them having, Susan Lee, is their response of spending more. And what's more. vigilance? You have to raise interest rates to rein, rein in inflation, and that hurts the economy. That hurts the average folks when you're paying higher interest rates to your banks. So how do you think the market will react if we pass a bipartisan bill of $1 trillion, yeah. and then one month later pass a single-party bill of $3.5 trillion. Well, spending is always good for the stock market because whenever there's flush with cash, that goes somewhere and usually it goes into stocks or in the past 18 months into something called Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, as you know. But eventually, that's going to hurt the U.S. dollar. And Can you imagine traveling to Europe in, say, a few years when the dollar has weakened and you're paying 8 bucks now for a latte instead of 5 that's going to hurt the bottom dollar. And doesn't he realize that? Of course he does. Well, he should. I mean, at the Federal Reserve, and I'm sure even Janet Yellen, who was the head of the Federal Reserve, I'm sure has indicated that to him. When the pay-fors come true, where do you think they're going to – how are they going to pay for this? But that's a long-term issue as well. Well, they said that they will pay for it by raising taxes. That means higher corporate taxes. That means corporations don't make as much on their bottom line and for profit. And that also hurts, by the way, the stock market, stock prices, and eventually the 401ks. What about capital gains? How can that affect behavior if you raise those taxes? Well, so – investing would probably go down because if you're paying instead of just 15 to 20 percent in capital gains you're paying you're being taxed like it's income can you imagine warren buffett still investing billions of dollars like he does each and every year and when you buy stock that's when prices go up and markets go higher too when people say jeff bezos doesn't pay any taxes warren buffett says i want to pay more taxes uh what do you say to that well, then write a check. I think Warren Buffett has been asked over and over again, you think your taxes are too low because you pay less in income taxes than your secretary does because he pays capital gains instead of income tax. So he's taxed on his stock. He says, well, you know, if, if I'm going to write a check, he doesn't want to write a check to the government. He says the government should mandate these rules. I shouldn't do it. If you believe in big government as much as they do and they say they should be paying higher taxes, then write the check. Why? How can you, in, in layman's terms, which I live in, uh, <laughs> Why doesn't Jeff Bezos pay taxes, or does he in different ways? I think he does in different ways. Probably not the income tax rate that we pay. Where I, well, I'll speak for myself, but maybe not the levels that you pay uh, either. But because uh, most of his wealth is based in Amazon stock, and it, he only pays taxes on that once he sells. So he gives himself a hundred thousand dollars salary and pays taxes on that. Yeah, pro- probably. Well, if he so if he if uh, Jeff Bezos pays himself a hundred thousand dollars, that would be taxes income. But most of his wealth is in stock, so that's being taxed at a much lower rate. Is that a strategy? Is that Bezos's strategy? Well, I think in in terms of income tax, he's taxed at a much lower rate. If you look at Amazon itself, corporate taxes, they haven't paid corporate taxes in years Why? because because there are loopholes in the tax system. So don't blame Amazon. As a stockholder, I would say that's a great job. Your accountants should be paid well for you to find those loopholes so you can keep that money and spend it elsewhere for the company. Again, layman's terms, and sorry for the simplicity. <laughs> if he decides, well, this is the year I'm going to expand. 
So I had a good year, so I'm going to yeah. invest some of that money in expanding hubs or global, or this is the year hire I'm going to get people. drones, hire more people. That affects how much taxes you pay. And that's also a strategy. But you could also say I'm growing the economy. I'm giving Mr. and Mrs. Jones a middle-class income. I'm right. giving a raise to my assistant manager, and I'm growing the economy. Why don't I see more rich people make that comparison or play or game or game that out oh they they use that quite a bit when they say well why don't you pay higher taxes well, i am paying the economy because look at amazon they hired seven hundred thousand people not during the pandemic they're not lying and as i said to you the fact capital expenditure is what we call it capex sorry you speak in layman's terms i'll and go you don't. The different <laughs> route. maybe speaking business language that people are tuning out right now but uh, capital expenditure and when you reinvest a company reinvests into the economy that gets multiplied and my last question on Jeff Be- uh, Bezos, Bezos, because today the Blue Origin goes into space, yeah. and and Bernie Sanders famously said last week, I wish these billionaires would give money. We have a lot of problems down here. Right. But <laughs> if we can actually open up our minds a little bit and look into our capitalist economy, he's creating the economy. Right. He's creating passenger travel into space, isn't he? You're opening and up the whole frontier there. in space, which you said you would actually go on one day if you right. can afford it. Right. You can afford $200,000. i am sure would, uh, I wouldn't buy a ticket. I'd get it from a scalper. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have somebody else buy it and they get it from a scalper so I could write it off. No, yeah. of course I would. If this was affordable, I would do that in a second. Yeah. Especially the best moves, the best move ever for a capitalist right. is to go up in space yourself and well, bring your brother. <laughs> and then really, would I have done that if it wasn't safe? Well, it's a great marketing campaign, as I said on Fox News this morning when we were watching it live. The whole world is watching this. This is, first and foremost, a business for Jeff Bezos. He's an entrepreneur. He's going to sell $200,000 space tickets in the future to go on a Blue Origin rocket for 11 minutes and three minutes of zero gravity. He knows what he's doing. He's 7,600 people bid for that fourth seat. So there is a lot of potential customers out there, and it's going to be a lucrative opportunity. Absolutely. Susan Lee's going to stick around, for at least, unless she changes her mind in the break, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll, make up, I'll let you know the excuse she gives me. But the market is up 550 points. We'll find out why in just a moment. We return Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. There has been inequality and hunger and poor and racism and all these problems. All that long predates anybody's attempt to fly in space. So to now look at success in space launches and say, because we're doing that is why we have not solved the rest of these problems is kind of a false equivalence. Uh, that is true, and I think Susan Lee of FBN <laughs> agrees with me, right? Well, I was just so amazed by the rocket technology today. Do you think that's being funded by the government? No, it's private enterprise, and where this innovation and reusable rocket technology boosters are coming from. You can't depend on the government to put this together. So tell me, if you can, what's happened with the, what did the Chinese do to kind of cut their own legs out when it comes to the U.S. stock market? What did the Chinese do? To t- well, I mean, the fact that no Chinese companies will be able to list in New York for at least maybe five to ten years. How does that benefit them? 
It doesn't benefit them. I why, think why they're up they in arms. Well, because one company just uh, last week they they went public against Beijing's recommendations, which really was an order. So after that, this is a company, the Chinese Uber. It's called Didi. And so after that, China just clamped down, and Beijing said, "Well, you have to go through us and ask permission if you want to listen New York in the future." So that, read by experts, means there's not going to be any big Chinese IPO for the next five to ten. Is years Is that going to get least. corporate America's attention to start diving? Investing from China in a big way. I think they have already, but it's just such a big consumer opportunity. Look at Nike. Look at Apple. Look at Starbucks. I mean, these companies that have what twenty percent of their business now coming from China. You heard Nike CEO on the on the earnings call saying that we are a Chinese brand for the Chinese people. Elon Musk got into hot water when he tweeted out that China is an innovative place that you should visit for the one hundredth celebration of the Communist Party's. Anniversary. All driven by money, not by not by uh, patriotism. Well, they would say patriotism (laughs) makes you money in China. They know how their bread is buttered. But not if it's it's with our enemy. Thanks, Susan Lee. (laughs) The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress. Do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain-of-function. You do not know what you are talking about. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals and they increased their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function. It is not. It's a dance and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the world from a pandemic. Wow. And I wish Senator would have paused on that and let him explain why it's not gain-of-function research. And then you'll see him dance around the edges. Senator Rand Paul will be on tonight at 7 uh, tonight. And um, very interesting. Jamie Metzl joins us now. Uh, Jamie, former NSC official in the Clinton administration, WHO advisor, and a great guest. Uh, Jamie, thanks for joining us last night at 7. Now, can you respond to what you just heard? Yeah, Brian, really happy to be with you, and I really appreciate your effort to get to the bottom of what happened and and what went wrong. Um, And certainly there is an issue, and we need to look at what was the United States government funding in China. But I I do think that we're getting a little bit trapped in this was it or wasn't it gain of function, because Dr. Fauci is right. They have by a narrow technical definition that they are using at the NIH. Maybe this wasn't gain of function. And Senator Paul is right. Just by common sense usage of gain of function is something that gains function in a dangerous virus. It was. But the issue isn't semantic. The issue is, well, what was actually happening in China? What role did the United States government play in partly supporting that? And that's what we need to get into. I think this this fight over was it or wasn't it, we can go on with that forever. But let's look at what actually what was the work? What was happening in uh, in China? And that's why I, I really hope that we don't 
suffer too much from an autoimmune disease. We need to point fingers at ourselves. But the real fingers need to be pointed at China, which was carrying out um, this very aggressive research. And there was a lot that we just didn't know, and and that's uh, an issue. Uh, And then they began this massive cover-up, destroying samples, hiding records. They've established they're imprisoning Chinese citizen journalists for asking basic questions. Uh, They have a gag order preventing uh, Chinese scientists from saying or anything uh, about pandemic origins without prior government approval. And they are sandbagging this uh, international effort to try to get to the bottom of things. So we do need to point fingers at ourselves. We need to focus our energies where they really belong, which is let's look at China and let's look at ourselves. But rather than fight ourselves, the big fight is figuring out what went wrong and how do we fix our biggest problems. Yeah, I want you to hear uh, Fauci went on to uh, expand on this. What we're alleging is the gain-of-function research was going on in that lab, and NIH funded it. That is not— get away from it. It meets your definition, and you are obfuscating the truth. I'm not obfuscating the truth. You are the one. Time is expired, but I will allow the witness to— Let me just finish. I want everyone to understand that if you look at those viruses, and that's judged by qualified virologists and evolutionary biologists— those viruses are molecularly impossible no one's to result no in SARS-CoV-2. Cause the pandemic. Paul, We're saying they are gain-of-function yeah, viruses because they were animal not. viruses that became more transmissible in human, and you funded it. And you, you admit the truth. And you implying, Senator Paul, your time has expired, and I will allow witnesses right. who come before this committee to respond. And, and you are implying that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individual. I totally resent that. And if anybody is lying here, Senator, it is you. So you want to want to do your color commentator on what you just heard? Well, it feels like a sporting event uh, more than a a congressional hearing. Um, So, again, as I said before, the United States government was funding um, some activity through the EcoHealth Alliance at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. We need to know what it was. Again, whether it was or wasn't gain of function, in my mind, it's immaterial. What was being uh, what was being funded more significantly? We need to know what was actually happening at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the Wuhan uh, CDC. We have no idea what viruses they had in their viral repository prior to the outbreak because all of the records have gone uh, gone missing and they're not allowed any access. If we knew they had SARS-CoV-2 virus in their repository, that would mean that it maybe had nothing to do with gain of function. They just had brought this virus from the caves in southern China and Yunnan um, to the, uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and it, it just escaped. It could be there's a precursor virus. It could be there's some evidence of, of, uh, of genome editing. And again, uh, that's, that is the real fight. China, um, whatever the origins of the, uh, of the pandemic, whether it was a natural jump from animals to humans in the wild or a lab incident, that, there's a legitimate debate about that. But there is no debate about whether or not China has engaged in a criminal cover-up um, after the the, uh, the first days of the outbreak, where they did all these terrible things, and that was what allowed this this um, crisis that could have been averted in the beginning uh, to grow into into what we're seeing today, where the official numbers are about four million, but I think the real numbers are more than ten million people uh, are dead. So we have to again, we have to look at issues here in the United States, um, but we have to demand 
um, that China open up, show the level of transparency that WHO Director General Dr. Tedros has called for. Tedros, who I know people have been yeah, in fact, of Jamie, in I want to let's let the audience hear what he said. Cut 11. There yeah. was a premature push to, um, uh, you know, especially uh, uh, reduce one of the uh, options like the lab theory. As you know, I was uh, a lab technician myself. I'm immunologist, and I have worked in the lab. And lab accidents happen. It's common. I have seen it happening, and I had I myself had errors. So it can it can happen. So why is he suddenly so open to this? Why wouldn't it be a year ago? Can you bring me behind the scenes since you're an advisor to the WHO? So Tedros has actually been quite incredible on this. In the earliest days of the uh, the pandemic, very, very, yes, and he unfortunately um, repeating the information his government, him and WHO, which we now know was just a, a lie. And, and I've been critical of Tedros. He's been critical of, uh, of himself. But for all of this year, Tedros has actually been a real hero um, when this Chinese-controlled joint issued, um, uh, had a press release in Wuhan on February 9th and uh, released their uh, report on March 30th, Tedros immediately said, wait a second, we have to consider a lab in origin. Uh, now Tedros, with the comment that you, that you just played um, uh, last Friday, he called the audit of all Chinese, uh, Chinese laboratories um, in Wuhan I mean, he's really showing leadership, and we need to back him. Um, and yes, we, there, myself included, and I know you, Brian, and others, um, had some criticism of Tedros early on. But he is, has risked his entire career, and, and, and now China is rallying against Tedros, against the words they, they, that you just played and is called for a full audit. To they've organized 55 countries uh, to do this, and they communicated to the WHO that they yeah. a full investigation. It's outrageous. The fight we need to be fighting. True, true. But he, he was definitely slow, and he definitely was praising China way too much in the middle of a pandemic and did not let us know what was about to hit us. And if he came out and just said, you're about to get hit with a pandemic, and there's a virus coming your way, and I'm not sure how it started and how to prepare for it, I would have preferred that than, yeah. than get ready for... Uh, a virus that you've had before for a test that we've uh, generated, but we needed a new one. I want you to hear. Uh, I want you to hear from Dr. Macari. I think the, even though your line's breaking up a little bit, I think you can still hear me clear. This is what he told me about the NIH budget 20 minutes ago, and a study that Johns Hopkins is about to put out. That's a new Johns Hopkins study that I'll be I'm putting out. It's forthcoming. It's a an American tragedy how the NIH with 41 billion dollars in grants. By the way, they had $80 billion, but they, they give away half of it in grants. Last year, during COVID, four-tenths of 1% went to COVID. And by the way, it wasn't even for the key COVID questions. It wasn't even for key COVID research, like how does it spread? It went to health disparities in COVID, an important topic. But, I mean, how about how does it spread and when are you contagious? Those basic questions went unanswered because of the rigidity of the NIH. And as a result, we had a vacuum of information and political opinions filled that vacuum. 
So he has $80 billion, gives away $40 billion, put 0.4% to COVID-19. Yeah, so it's it's hard because there's so many things that we want the NIH to do. We, we want it to help cure cancer and dementia. We want it to lay a foundation um, for the future of uh, of healthcare. So it's a huge budget, and people for decades have been debating on the allocations. But definitely, like any big government bureaucracy, um, it's sometimes hard for those bureaucracies to, to move on a dollar that with the CDC. And the failures uh, last year in, in the testing kits out on it. I think it's a legitimate debate that we need to be we need to be having. Um, but I think it's it's very hard to, to you just use a specific number, of, you know, percentage of this of this large budget. Um, we're grateful that we have NIH, which is best its kind in, in the world. But we need to just like like we're doing here. Gotcha. We need to question: so Are we doing everything we can? Are we are done everything to fight uh, to fight COVID. I think it's a legitimate question. Jamie Metzl, thanks so much. We'll stay on top of this. Uh, former SC official, Clinton administration, uh, and just great on this, which matters most. Uh, Jamie, thank oh, you. Right. You got it. My- uh, yeah, he's always fantastic, and he always lets me know when things are breaking, uh, which helps the show. one 408 7669 Just quick note. I'm going to, September 25th, go to briankillme.com. We'll be appearing with Dana Perino in Danbury, uh, in Danbury, New Jersey, excuse me, Asbury Park, New Jersey. I'm speaking with someone, someone else is calling in. Asbury Park, New Jersey, to find out details. It's going to be great. We'll talk about liberty. We're going to have some fun and talk about both our careers as well as American history. Uh, if you like Fox, you'll love it. So go to briankillme.com and order tickets as VIP, a chance for me uh, to meet you and sign all your books. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There are a few people I know more deserving of this, Jeff. Seriously. And I don't know what you're going to do next, but I can't wait to watch. Congratulations. And Wally, would you join me, please? Sixty years, Wally. And I get to pin this on. The best pin I've ever had in my life. And I've had lots of them. (laughs) Jeff Bezos, and that was Wally, uh, who... Uh, she has waited uh, since she was in her 20s. She's now 82 years old to be able to fly into space. At that time, women didn't do it. Now they do, and now she did. Congratulations, Jeff Bezos, for picking her. I think it was great, and uh, the flight is done. They went in 62 miles into space. They stayed up there for three minutes. We have not seen that I could tell what it was like as they lost, had weightlessness, and then they came back down. It seemed flawless. I don't know the details, but it was good enough for me. Uh, private space travel is on, up, and running. So let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, here we go. Ashton Kutcher is not going to uh, space yet after Mila Kunis uh, convinced him to sell his ticket. 
Uh, Kutcher, who's pretty, uh, who's pretty rich, is staying earthbound. The actor best known for his role in the 70s show in Two and a Half Men had a ticket for the space fight on Virgin Galactic, which conducted a uh, space fight last week. Uh, but, quote, I, he said on Cheddar News, I was supposed to be on the next fight, but I will not be on the next fight. Uh, the actor's wife uh, said uh, she does not want him to do it. He's got two kids, Wyatt, six, and Dimitri, four. You think that's a good move? Like, um, she said they decided it was, quote, not a good decision for their family. I mean, it sounds like he's not going to go, right? Just maybe not right away and on one of the first trips. I can understand as a mom with two young kids, you don't want your husband to take some unnecessary risks, right? I, I think she should back off. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you, you saw it safe. I mean, why, what is the, you got a the seven-year-old billionaire up there. I don't know. She better than up that life insurance. That's what I would say if he wants to do it. Next, Prince Harry's writing explosive memoir with J.R. Moringer. You know why I know him? J.R. wrote the book The Tender Bar. I'm friends with him. Uh, Ali uh, Camerata's friends with him, too. He also wrote the book on Agassi that was a bestseller. Another big book. Phil I Phil Knight. He did uh, Phil Knight's oh, book. Oh, yeah. Uh, Phil Knight now went and covered Phil Knight's book, which was fantastic. Uh, Shoe Dog. And now he's going to be writing Harry's book. I'm sure it's going to be a big next sell, a big bestseller. He's got a huge, uh, he's got a huge advance of twenty million dollars. Is it twenty million or more than that? I heard twenty million that he was going to donate to charity. Yeah, but you know what they always say? They'll donate to charity after they earn after uh, they out earn the I twenty million. I was going to say I doubted he was going to give all of it because right they need the money now for all their security. Maybe I don't think he's got a big stipend. But how do you feel if you're he's blowing up the royal family? Absolutely blowing up the royal family. If you have to leave your own mental health, do it. But don't turn around and blow up 200 or 500 years of tradition. I agree. And I think the saddest part is that he supposedly has a great relationship with his grandmother and then the relationship with his brother. You know, it, I don't know. It's sad. Uh, it's over. I mean, it both, I mean, the grandmother, who knows, but the brother, it's over. Because in the book, what do you think she's going to say? All stories that Will does not want out, right? Or else he's not going to be earning the $20 million. Or I would say even if they're not negative stories, they're such a private family. They don't want any stories out. Next, AOC is making a big push into political merchandise. She is investing heavily in the online store selling T-shirts, sweatshirts, and other merchandise in her name. AOC initials, tax the rich, fight for our future. Her campaign paid political merchandise firm Financial Innovations, which operates her online store and supplies merchandise. More than $1.4 million in the first six months has been sold. That according to campaign disclosures to the FEC. This is more, uh, this is more than uh, many lawmakers spent on the entire re-election efforts. Uh, in Queens where she would spend it. It's unbelievable. She, I guess, does like capitalism. Yeah, I guess so, and it benefits her and her campaign. How many um, AOC shirts do you think we'll see walking around New York? Uh, a lot, I bet. <laughs> I mean, I, actually, I'm not sure because I know, she, you know she'll you know, she be fine in Queens. There's a lot of people who turned off by her, maybe New York City. Next. I think it is a green dream. It is. It is. Yeah, I get it. Taco Bell's menu hit by nationwide shortages of ingredients. First off, what's in a Taco Bell taco? Uh, they're getting a multitude of complaints on social media pointed to a lack of beef, chicken, hot sauce, and 10-inch tortillas in the Yum! Brands division. So what do you get if you can't have I'm the meat sure. or the tortilla? Why are you waiting online? Uh, taco Bell has a district-wide shortage of hot sauce for anyone craving tacos Bell tonight. Quote, I just ate black beans and a hard shell. Complain one person on Twitter. That sounds like a disappointment. See you tonight at 7, primetime.
Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.